Uh, can you tell us what happened? What's happening there, Ken? Sounds like you're okay where you are. So don't move and you just stay there and we're gonna like animals and some of them are naked and they're like dogs. And their eyes that look, it's just a startled, kind of wild uh, uh... Oh god, Grant. Oh, okay, Ken, listen, no, no, listen. No, no, no. You don't understand. I'm looking uh through a little door. There's a little door at the base of the door. It's some kind of uh, cat door or something. And I can I can see the uh lunge. Just okay. Let me move so I can see the No! Look out! Oh god! They're they're pulling two people out of a van! Who are they, Ken? Who are they? There's a bunch of them. They're 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 people, but but they're crazy. They're they're pulling these two out of the van. Oh my god! They're October, and this is Flyby Films' second uh, inaugural Halloween series episode, and you are tuning in. I am, of course, Jameson Barsotti, and I'm uh, I'm joined by the lovely Blake. Very, very lovely. Blake, what was the scariest thing you saw today? The scariest thing I saw today? Hmm. <sighs> scariest? Um, you, you know, I'm not sure I saw much that was scary today, but I will say, my so my son had a, a fell at daycare yesterday and had a, had a bloody mm. nose. And and so we we finally got stopped, and he went to bed and whatnot. But he woke up with some dried blood on his nose. So I'll go with that. That works. It's not really yeah. that scary, but it's blood. It's yeah. Blood. So it's also I'm going with it. It's also on your son. So like yeah, not, yeah. like yeah. yeah. To to be honest, I was just happy to not see a blood spot on his uh on his like bed. And okay. 
So the fact that it actually stayed in his nose overnight, I was impressed. So, yeah. Well, maybe he's uh, he's learning his powers of how to control his blood. So. Yeah, yeah. As as all humans have. Yeah. What was the scariest thing you saw today? Uh, I mean, I guess I could have said capitalism because that's always scary, but it just seems kind of I don't know, not terribly fun. Yeah, I think that's a different <laughs> that's a different type of podcast, right? So that that that's dread. That's that's not scary. It's it's dread. <laughs> dread. Yeah. What are the categories of scary? I guess dread is its own thing. Um, yeah. What's the scariest thing I saw today? Uh, this is a hard question, and I know that's unfair because I sprung it on you, and now you're just springing it back on me. Yeah. And I should have thought of an answer because I knew this was going to happen. Um, well, right now, um, I am experimenting with my looks, as Blake probably understands. <laughs> So I think I'm going to uh, say the scariest thing I saw was my reflection, um, which is also how fascinating. Oh, how fascinating, yeah. No, uh, so for for the lovely listeners who can't see me right now, um, I am sporting a very very bushy mustache that yeah. I didn't grow. I didn't grow as a mustache. I sculpted into a mustache, um, yeah. and today when I it's, logged on... It's real good, people. Real good. Good, I think, is the wrong adjective for it. Um, I feel like good, if we're talking about the ideal of a mustache, sure, it, it it's pretty, <laughs> like, pretty well fitting yeah. for a mustache mm-hmm. good if we're talking about like this is good for humanity and good, <laughs> good for other things then, then i think i'm a realist about this i understand that that yeah it might not be good um i was i was talking to my my manager today and i logged on and she was just like you're looking very 70s because along with the mustache i've been growing my hair out yeah. So I just look like I popped out of a different era. And Are you going for the John Holmes look? I I don't know who that is. Well, he's Sorry. a porn star from back in the oh. back in the day. Yeah. As we discussed, I'm a penis <laughs> or something like that. That's ridiculous. Is huge, but <laughs> as we discussed, I was homeschooled, <laughs> so I don't know who this is. Um, well, I only oh, know I it because because. Val Kilmer played him in a in a movie. movie nights. Wonderland, I think it was. Oh, called. Wonderland! Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. I see, I see. Yeah. Uh, Anytime Val Kilmer plays a person, I I generally tend to remember it. Yeah. He he his Wikipedia picture has less hair. Um. And I was wow. He died in '88. That was one year after I was born. So I was very young. Oh man! Yeah, you're four years younger than me. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah, 
I worked <sighs> real hard to to beat you at that. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So we're talking about Candyman to Farewell to the Flesh today, right? Farewell to the Flesh. And right before we got on this the, the this this call, um we were both discussing the fact that we were both a little afraid that this was not going to go very well because neither one of us really remember exactly what happened in this film. And we both watched it. Recently. Recently. But it defies memory because it's pretty dull. This is not a good movie, Blake. It's not. It's not. You know what? It's it feels like it feels like it is a rehash of the original Candyman, and it doesn't really do anything new. And and okay, so here's an interesting thought experiment. Okay. So I want you to be thinking about the reasons why you think it fails, because I, I think you're right that it's basically a rehash. But why exactly does it fail? I think one of the reasons why it fails is because it's not actually buying in to its locality. They pick New Orleans as mm-hmm. the setting of this film, which is a brilliant move. There's Which by the, by the really way, great history yeah. that is both tragic and fascinating in equal measure in that city, and yet they do nothing with it. Like, we don't even get good pictures of, like, landmarks of New Orleans. Yeah. We are just told that this is where it's at. <laughs> yeah. Blake, have you ever been to New Orleans? I have. I have. I've been, let's see. I was trying to think if I'd been more than once. I think I've only been once and it was for a bachelor party. Nice. Very. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. I went. We're not, uh, we're, we're not going to talk about it past that. So. Yeah. Yeah. I went uh, <laughs> not for a bachelor party. I was, we were driving across the country and we stopped, but we did do, we walked. Bourbon Street, you know, we we uh, did stuff, but we did a bunch of other things too. Like, yeah, it's it's a beautiful city with lots oh, of history, gorgeous. lots of good food. I mean, everyone's always like New York has the best food and all that. I I think yeah. New Orleans yep. best best food in the U.S. probably well, best best. Yeah. I'm not sure I'd go that far, but <laughs> as far as like Creole goes, Creole food is like some of the best. Oh man. I mean, I the thing that I love the most about the American South and that I miss the most is the food. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like and I, I feel like in Louisiana you get Creole and all that food and and great seafood and you get southern food too so you get like all of the good stuff whereas in some other southern states you just you know and i'm not bagging on it i love 
I love Southern yeah. food, but you don't always have the Creole with it. So um, I don't know, man. And, and for those who are not, who didn't grow up in these areas, um, there is a difference between the South and Southern. Cause I would not actually say that Texas where I grew up is Southern in the historical sense. Yeah. It was kind of on the border, but well, it is Southern in that it has a lot of the same food characteristics, cuisine and like culture and things like that. But it doesn't have a lot of the, the hangups that Southern states have. So, yeah, <laughs> I've actually always wondered uh, if you, yeah. And since you're a resident of Oklahoma right now, yeah. do you consider Oklahoma part of, the south the south yeah not really no yeah i've always felt like it was really on the cusp of south or midwest but because it generally has you know generally gets associated with with you know red states and things like that i think Mm -hmm. i think people general you know associate it with that Um, i think if you if you literally draw a straight line up from um, the side of Texas to the side of Oklahoma and, and like the side of Kansas all the way up. That line is a pretty good delineation from the southern part of the Midwest mm-hmm. and the South. Yeah. Um, because once you hit Louisiana, Arkansas, Alabama, those states you're getting into the, the the really like hardcore meat of the south uh, all the way over to to uh, to georgia yeah um, so yeah i i really do think that that's like the cutoff yeah. um it's it's distinct like and and most people will consider texas and oklahoma and kansas all part of the south but if you actually live there, there's or you visited some of the actual South. That's there's a difference. <laughs> yeah, I I feel like there's I I feel like there's less. I don't know. Kansas feels to me like a, a very very much an extension of of uh, Missouri and yeah. and Nebraska, and in those senses, it's it's very much midwest in that way like Mm -hmm. western midwest and in in that sense you know oklahoma very much kind of fits in with the kansas feel i don't know and and i i like like parts of all of these states i haven't been to you know everything about them um but i don't mean to to categorize them as all the same thing i just I'm always curious how people partition the United States in their mind. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, uh, I used to be a, a stickler for that. Now I'm just like, whatever, I don't care. Like it's, it's not worth my time to, to correct the person on it. But there was a time when I was like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> it's Texas is not the South. Yeah. It's, it's Southern. It's not the South, but we can agree <laughs> We can agree that Louisiana, Louisiana yes. is the South. It is the South, yes, and that's why the cooking is so great. Yeah, some of the best barbecue I've ever had 
was in Mississippi and Hattiesburg. Mm. So, yeah. I think I've been there. I think that's uh, that's the one place that I've stayed is Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Yes, yeah, it's the, it's the, I believe it's the, the home of uh, Ole Miss, if I'm not mistaken. Oh yeah, so it wasn't there. It was it was close. It was close to that. Okay. I forget the name of the. Someone town. who lives in Mississippi who li- listens to this is probably gonna be like, "What the, what is this jackass?" Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm probably wrong, but I'm pretty sure that it is Ole Miss. I mean, but who knows? Yeah. Um, I went there for a wedding. What do I know? Yeah. Hey, <laughs> there's there's a lot of beauty in these southern states. Um, but yeah, so I I feel like kind of getting back to Farewell to the Flesh. So Candyman yeah. 2, Farewell to the Flesh, um, takes place in... So uh, Tony Todd Candyman has inexplicably inexplicably been transported from Cabrini Green in Chicago all the way to uh, New Orleans. Um, and they could have done something really interesting with that as a reversal of the Great Migration North. Mm. But they didn't. No, they didn't. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think you're right. I was really excited that it was it was going to take place in um, Nolens. Yeah. Um, but uh, but they didn't do a lot with that. You know, no. there's some references to things. They and do of show. You have, the, you have the person with the really outrageous accent. Yeah. Yeah. You do. Um, yes. Yeah. Who are you talking about there? Because I can think of two. Well, I, I, I specifically I'm thinking of Honor. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Who is played by uh, the guy who is in Brubaker? Yes, John. Uh, who you uh, called out John Clark. John Clark, yeah. Yeah. So this is our first big connection between yeah. uh, Flyby Films. Yep. Is there uh, the guy who played Roy? Um, oh, what was what was his last name? Um, it was something, something Roy Purcell. It was something oh, really gotcha. southern. I remember now. Uh, Roy Purcell. Um, he um, he was also in Candyman. And he plays a nice bit part role in this, where he's kind of uh, the keeper of all of the Candyman memorabilia. Yeah. Um, Honor the Badoo. The Badoo. Yeah. Thibodeau. Yeah. yeah, he's and he weirdly sells snow cones. <laughs> yeah, that was you know it's a front for his mm. real passion, which is collecting uh, Candyman memorabilia. Apparently, yeah, yeah, I didn't get that. I didn't understand it. Yeah. So, um, so okay, this movie wasn't wasn't great. But it did have a lot of uh, a lot of star power behind it. Yeah. Um, it was directed by Bill Condon, yeah. who um, I think is probably most remembered for his. Uh, uh, 
ironic that I can't remember the name. Uh, Twilight <laughs> movies, right? Yeah, the, the 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 final two Breaking Dawn. Yeah, Twilight movies. He directed. He also directed The Greatest Showman. Um, oh yes. He also directed a uh, Oscar nominated uh, film called Of Gods and Monsters, which has Ian McKellen playing, I believe, James Whale. Yeah. The and director of Frankenstein. I think isn't Brendan Fraser in that one as well? I believe so. Yeah. Yep. Brendan Fraser yep. is also in that. Um He's, and, he's having a comeback lately. Yeah, and he's crazy. having a whale of a comeback. Yeah. Uh, oh, nicely done. Yeah. He's uh, yeah. he's coming out with his new movie. It's called The Whale. And uh, it's directed by Darren Aronofsky, who oh, is yeah. very hit or miss, but uh, yeah, has, yeah, yeah. has some solid hits. So, I think from here on out, Aronofsky should just put an exclamation point after all of his titles. The whale, the whale, the wrestler. It would Black make Swan. a. It, it'd make a really great uh, biopic. Call it Jeb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, yeah, so Bill Condon was is is not a slouch when it comes to directing. He's he's done some stuff. I haven't seen any of it except for this. And I, I feel like there was one other movie I'd seen by him. But um, yeah, most of the movies are well known, but I have not seen them for various reasons. Twilight, because I didn't want to. Yeah. It was just not on my radar. I don't like I, listening vampires. I mean, I do wonder. I wonder if we go back to those movies, if there's something of value to them. Like maybe, maybe they have, they have Robert Pattinson. Them have yeah, and he's a and, great actor. And Kristen Stewart is is uh, is solid in some things. Yeah, um, and really horrible in others. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I feel like there's uh You know, I don't know. I was, yeah, I don't know. I feel like she never really like has much expression on her face, but the thing is I've known plenty of people like that too. So it's Mm -hmm. not like that doesn't exist in nature. Yeah, And so, so she could be, you know, uh, kind of corresponding to stuff like that. She was in Adventureland, which is a movie I, I really like with um, oh we should watch that at some point yeah with jesse eisenberg i have fond memories of that movie yeah because Uh, ryan reynolds has a bit role in it oh yeah 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 that's true but yeah tony todd comes back in this movie Mm -hmm. uh philip glass is is the music guy for it uh you know I it think it has... would be really great if he just basically uh, put a microphone in like a, a Narlin's crowd for like an hour and 28 minutes. And that was just the soundtrack. Yeah, that'd be that'd be good. I think you'd get a lot of interesting noises. Yeah, specifically and I think that people wouldn't know what to think. Yeah. 
Speaking of Philip Glass, Philip Glass has one of my uh, favorite spooky season songs. Um, oh, what's it called? Oh, it's called. It has like a weird name. Um, it's called Pruitt Ego and Prophecies. Um, mm. It's it's a very famous Philip Glass song. It was in the Watchmen movie, uh, but it's just basically like very doomy organ gotcha. music. Oh, and organ music is awesome. Yeah, and so it's it's pretty good. Um, but yeah, so I recommend that to anyone who's looking for. Uh, I was going in through a. Uh, yeah, I. I went through a period where I was listening to all the kind of avant-garde composers, uh, music, concrete people, and like John Cage and Philip Glass and all these people. And you're just like, these people are like, I don't understand what they're doing, but it's fascinating. Yeah. And it makes for an interesting listen, not necessarily for work. Which is where I was listening to it. Sometimes, yeah. yeah, sometimes the avant-garde musicians take a little more paying attention to. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting because like I feel like a lot of times like it's under ambient music, uh, yeah. especially like uh, like John Cage. Sure, yeah, one of yeah. his pieces is literally just nothing noise. Um, yeah. But um, but then, at the same time, they're very challenging things, so you have to pay attention to them. Yeah. So it's 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 a struggle. Um, it is. But yeah. this is a fairly fairly straightforward soundtrack for Philip Glass. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't. It didn't strike me as like, oh yeah, this is a Philip Glass. Yeah. soundtrack but um but he was also the you know he's returning he was also the composer for Candyman, and mm-hmm. um yeah so so we've set it up new orleans uh candy man returns um do you remember how it starts out uh, yes, I do. So the professor is giving a talk on the origins and the person of uh, um, Candyman. And he's written a book about it, a book that surreptitiously has a glossy mirror-like cover. And of course, he's your typical enlightened white man who is like, oh, we don't believe in these myths. And he's like, I'll do it right here in front of my crowd. And he says Candyman three times. And you know what happens to him later in the night? Fucking Candyman comes and just rips him to pieces. He gets just guts him right he there. Gets in the bathroom. In the bathroom, no less. Yeah. That's a private area. And he got hooked real good. Yeah. That's why you don't that's why you don't fuck with folklore. Although <laughs> Although this this did piss me off. this pissed me off because it was a glossy book like I 
I don't know. I've never tried to communicate with the spirit world, but other than if you listen to the last podcast, uh, Luther, <laughs> La- Luther Laser Lips, I have tried to communicate with him. Uh, but like, don't you need a mirror? Like, what else would work? Like, can I call Candyman in the pu- reflection of the puddle? Like, yeah, you could. Technically, if you follow the, 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 the rules of this movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, yeah, as long as it's shiny. I mean. So so that's the thing <laughs> is it has to be shiny. It. Yeah. OK. Yeah, yeah I think it's not about reflection. No, that's yeah. that's stupid. Why, why would we be afraid of what we see in a mirror? That's ridiculous i can't have anything to do with it it can't be (laughs) can't be a reflection uh but yeah also like it was it was frustrating to me because it feels like once you call Candyman, Candyman gets to take his sweet time and just show up whenever the fuck he wants he's like (laughs) all right because yeah so it starts out this this professor calls on Candyman and Candyman doesn't show up and you know he mm-hmm. makes this big to do where he has someone you know scare his audience into thinking that that it's Candyman who, who yeah. came after him and um, but then um, like two hours later. When he's at a bar, Candyman's like, oh, I've come back for you. I'm going to take you to death. Um, and <laughs> I just, there's a, there's that. And Candyman never uses mirrors or any sort of reflection. You need to yeah. call him through it. But he always shows up. From like the door behind you, it's like he's why? Like, it's like he's it's like he's a human. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, and 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 I'm not trying to pull Candyman apart too, because like this is actually consistent. I feel like through all of the Candyman movies, uh, I haven't seen this third one yet, but we're gonna watch it. But and, uh, and I assume it's going to be. As good, if not better, than this. Oh, one hundred best ways. One hundred percent. But yeah, Candyman. You have to call him through the mirror, but he never comes through the mirror. He's always showing up. Uh, and I, I will, I will say this: this movie gives you maybe a little bit of a background as to why he likes mirrors. There is, there is something yeah. in there about that, but I let, let's go back. You had actually asked me a question. You had set started to set up a, a thought experiment. Yeah. And I don't think you ever finished the thought experiment. Oh, so yes, yes, I did. It was, is me thinking well, is about why, because this one feels like a rehash of the original one. Mm-hmm. Why does it not work? I I I said it was partially because it, it does not feel grounded in any kind of locality. Yeah. Whereas 
Whereas the first one felt felt very much grounded in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Um, and but you, but I, I was wondering if there's other areas that you felt it failed at capturing that magic of the first one. I think that was the big one, right? Is the first one is very much Cabrini Green. Like they talk yeah. about Cabrini Green, which is a real place, and it's not just you know, it's not just Chicago. It's not just New Orleans. Uh, it's an actual neighborhood in Chicago. It's, yeah. You know. With a, with a huge history. With a, a, you know, huge history. Yeah. Um, but this <clears throat> this was more broad. Um, you know, you didn't get to see... I... I think there was a sense that that Candyman was kind of terrorizing um, the, you know, the city, but it kind of throws you into that without really setting it up. Uh, I don't I don't feel like it does a good job of of that. You're also, you know, and the movie kind of plays with this. You're also, I, I think it wanted to make more of a statement through this white family who is clearly living off of, you know, yeah. clearly still benefiting from slavery. Um, yeah. You know, they're, they're the wealthiest family in New Orleans. They live in this mansion and, and but instead. That has direct ties to the, 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 the background of Candyman. Yeah. And, and there's some comeuppance, you know, that they get served in a sense, like, yeah, yeah. You know, their whole lives get ruined and whatnot, but it's played for, Oh, poor them. Oh, this is so sad. Um, and I, I just don't think they, the movie earns it for them. I think, you know, I think it's definitely playing on this idea that this is, you know, uh, a very attractive white woman who is young and has these, you know, model looks. And of course you're going to feel bad for the fact that her, you know, very successful, restaurateur husband gets murdered in front of her and you know and and yeah i mean you'd feel bad for anyone when that happens but like um i you know i i I think i think the tension they're trying to build with with you know this family is actually kind of terrible versus you should feel bad for them doesn't it doesn't really work. It doesn't really mesh well. Yeah, I feel like they they bought a little too hard into the the idea that that's yes, we're st- we're we're living off of the work of slaves and what and the property and whatnot, but we're not them. We didn't do it, and so like it's this idea that like there's a disconnect there. That we that there's not a complicity uh, involved, mm-hmm. and so you can still root for these people to survive and to to thrive, or at least be the main woman 
the main protagonist, um, you can still kind of vie for her to survive and like be okay and you know not get killed and whatnot because she's innocent. She 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 had no part in it, but that goes against like the whole point of the original film, which is investigates the complicity of like <laughs> yeah. of how people like profit off of past sins. I mean, it's like, and it's almost like they turn the whole ideology of the first one on its head and say, it's, it's that movie we have a different idea of what's going on here. <laughs> yeah, that that is right. Um, one of the kind of creepiest things about the first movie, and this kind of gets into gets into the um, the like Bloody Mary aspect, where like you're inviting this thing in, mm-hmm. is. Candyman actually inhabits the the protagonist of that film Mm -hmm. and starts murdering people through her. And that's a very, very unsettling thing. Yeah. That doesn't happen in this one. I actually thought it was going to happen, but, you know, um, Candyman, you still get kind of that inhabitants um, they're trying for. But, uh, you know, it comes in this 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 bit of information where you realize like, oh, he's actually her great, 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 great grandfather, you know, and and whatnot. And she's pregnant, you know, so she's carrying forth there. And she's going to name the child after uh, uh, his lover, his lover. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Because why not? Yeah. It, you know, it, it definitely has a very uh, weirdly r- rosy kind of ending, too. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, there's there's some um, some kids from the classroom that this character teaches from who get involved. And I just remember, um, you know, at the end, they're like walking down the street like everything's kind of fine and 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 it just you know happened and uh, i don't know yeah but 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 you it's it's i mean what this film was what year was this film made 95 95 so that was right at the height of kind of the the beginning of the white savior trope especially like school movies yeah like uh, dangerous minds and things like that yeah Um, where you get this, you know, uber progressive, edgy, white person who comes into, you know, a, a urban school and and makes the the savages realize that they're more than just savages. They can actually go to college and be somebody. That that mm-hmm. kind of mentality, like this one, has a little bit of that taste. Of <laughs> it, it's not near as in your face. Uh, because it's not interested in that aspect of the story. Um, it's really just a, a place set for the protagonist. Oh, she's a teacher and she helps disadvantaged youth. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> so. But I do think, yeah, I, I think 
really where this this movie kind of misses is that yeah the you know the the white pretty protagonist lady lady isn't the the murderer you know um and that was that was something i feel like the the candy man gets about the myth or gets about the urban legend and also kind of makes it a strong and compelling and and scary movie almost too when i think and i think what's so terrifying about it is is not only is he inhabiting her in the first film but it's a seduction Mm. like there's an element of of that character in the first film that wants that inhabitation like Mm -hmm. she is being seduced by him into that and and so that's in some on some level that's even more terrifying because that speaks to a different kind of complicity (laughs) um but it's it's interrogating what it is to to look at your own reflection and and see what's really there like <laughs> i was trying to remember i read something recently that uh was talking about the fact that we we don't actually see ourselves in the mirror mm. we see all of the different images that that are placed upon us and that we place upon ourselves but we don't actually see ourselves for who we are. Like we, we've never actually seen who we are in the mirror um, because we have so many vying identi- identities that were bouncing off of us and, and bouncing around inside of us that like we, we don't even know who we are. And so, that's that's the compelling idea of the first film. One is that we can be seduced into being something that we really maybe don't ultimately want to be part of. Um, yeah. Whereas this one drops a lot of that and is kind of just like more of a typical slasher, like uh, wish fulfillment, like you know, Candyman, 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 and he comes and he kills the person. Okay, well. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and you, you know, you, it it just kind of becomes a a detective story where, you know, where there's this, there's this mysterious force killing people and I gotta figure out what's, you know, what's behind it. Um, yeah and uh that that kind of being seduced and being drawn and then you know being uh ending up with with something that you don't really want is actually a pretty big theme with uh so the story of Candyman is based on a Clive Barker story, who mm-hmm. we mentioned in the previous podcast uh, is the the mind behind Hellraiser. Yeah. So, um, so in a sense, like, yeah, that first Candyman is probably capturing a lot more 
these themes that that Clive Barker was going for than this second mm-hmm. one too. And and he's listed as as story by in this one, but I think again it's just yeah, it's 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 just an ab- adaptation of um, his story for the first one that they're referencing in that. It really should have just been character by. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly but even the character like i think his story what does his story introduce Candyman? i i didn't read it i think I, no i've no, I, i've actually never read a single clive barker piece yeah. so i don't know i do think um so i was reading an article that you sent me well i wasn't reading i was listening to an article oh. i i used the the speech or the text to speech feature so I could keep doing other things. Cause it was a very nice. long, yes. long article, but, um, but it was about kind of the origins of the idea that someone could come through your mirror. And even though, yeah. as we already discussed, Candyman doesn't actually use mirrors when he's coming to get you, he's still called through the mirror but uh, but you sent me the story about Ruthie Mae McCoy uh, mm-hmm. from um, from the Chicago. Uh, I think she was in the Abbott House or Abla. Yeah, the 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 ABLA. Yep. ABLA, yeah. Which, um, if you read this article, it actually mentions how uh, these this part of Chicago housing was actually 10 times worse than Cabrini green. But the reason we are all familiar with Cabrini green, and that's kind of the name that we associate Mm -hmm. is because Cabrini green was close to where all of the media was in Chicago or is. And so, um, so that just kind of became this catch all term, um, and they wouldn't, you know, the media wouldn't really report on some of these other places because they weren't near it. They would just talk about Cabrini Green. And not to say that Cabrini Green was, you know, a paradise or anything like yeah. that. You know, I'm not trying to say it was, I, I, I'm not a scholar on these things. Like, I'm not trying to set them up. I'm just saying what was said in the article. So, yeah. But uh, but this article was about uh, this woman. Ruthie Mae McCoy, who um, was was shot to death, sadly, in her apartment. Uh, and what's even more sad about the story is she tried to call the cops multiple times. Mm-hmm. And they ended up coming after some neighbors called them um, a couple times saying, like, yeah. they heard screams but they didn't even enter the apartment because no one answered the door. And because they, they were worried they might get sued. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. They didn't want to break (laughs) down the door, but it turns out no one answered the door because no one was alive and could answer the door. And so it wasn't until two days after that they found her body. Um, and it's just very tragic, but, um, what's kind of scary about this story and what kind of uh, spawns on this, this Candyman narrative is that um, because of how poorly run the buildings were um, or 
poorly um, uh, built, uh, there was a way for people to crawl through their medicine cabinets in their Uh apartment and get to other people's medicine cabinets. Yeah, to adjacent, or in some cases, I think they said that they could actually work their way up to a different floor. And that's how a lot of uh, um, theft happened. Yeah, so once, once, you know, once they kind of figured this out, kind of spread around throughout uh, these housing places and and so the the people who wanted to you know rob would kind of figure out oh these are kind of new ways to do this and so what happened in this in this tragic case was uh, Ruthie May started seeing someone come try to come through her her yeah. mirror and her bathroom mirror and so she called the police and it's on like their recording too like she was like they're coming through the mirror they're coming through the cabinet um yeah Yeah, they're 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 knocking it down or something like that yeah yeah and so it's it's really kind of sends shivers down your spine but um and and the way the janitor of of the property was saying that it wouldn't take very much it would be very inexpensive to actually bolt the medicine cabinets together on both sides through the masonry mm-hmm. and to where it would be harder for them to actually come loose so people could crawl through and yet no one does anything about it because no one cares about them yeah, uh, and how the janitor also says that that uh, part of part of those projects, those public housing units, is that they wear people down to the point where they no longer have any hope of getting out or you know becoming anything other than residents of that place. And and one of the things he says is something about the fact that this is the place where they send the people to be forgotten or something similar to that um, because they don't want to deal with them. <laughs> and so <laughs> you're just like, you're, you're reading this and you're like, man, that's both sad and angering. And no wonder there's so much um, heft to that setting, especially in in the first movie, mm-hmm. uh, is because of that that element of basically being left and forgotten, and like you know, cops would take their sweet precious time getting to you if you called them, or they wouldn't knock down the door if you were in danger, or you know, any number of things. And so, yeah, yeah, you never felt safe. Um, yeah, might it and you're unsafe. It might as well be a band with a hook coming yeah. after you because you called his name three times. Yeah, you know exactly. Um, it, it you know in in that sense it doesn't matter what what the the thing is. No one cares yeah. anyway. Yeah, and so yeah, it's a it's 
this this second film just misses out on any on tapping into any kind of really um awful examination of anything <laughs> um or to like even if they had continued on with the commentary that the first one had in some way um that would have been even even good but the it's it's a problem of a lot of horror uh sequels especially slashers that the it be it, it's only profitable to make it more gory more bloody more kills more breasts more like any number of things like it's it's not so much about the actual story or the narrative it's 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 more about oh audiences come to came to see Candyman for the blood and the gore and the guts but now actually those people who look back on that film like the reason why it's so scary and so affecting is there's some heft kind of pushing the the story forward mm-hmm. there's something there Whereas this one felt pretty empty. Yeah. All right, Blake. So I would like to do a lightning round of what was one thing that you liked about this movie? Um, so I will say there's a scene in the movie where uh, I don't even remember. It may have been the protagonist. But someone uh, scrapes Candyman's cheek, mm. and it his skin kind of opens up, and bees start coming out of his, yeah. his cheek. I was like, "That's a really effectively done special effect." I was like, "Where was that in the rest of the film?" Like, someone took some time on that. It was really pretty cool. Um. I was I was impressed by that. I I really enjoyed that moment. I it's it's seared into my head as as prime one of the few things I actually liked about the movie. <laughs> yeah, no, I actually agree. I think I think that effect was probably the best best effect in the movie. Absolutely, one hundred percent. So, well. It, I, and I wish I could say that some of the, the like a character, hell, even Tony Todd, like was someone I could kind of hang my hat on as far as liking the person. But I felt like so all of them were so underdrawn or not yeah. given much to work with that it was. Eh. I mean, you, you're introduced to this family out of nowhere. You're not giving any background on who this rando guy is who comes up to this professor at the beginning. You clearly know he's come in contact with Candyman because he's he looks like you know he's done about four lines of coke and gone to a club and had about fifteen drinks before he actually came to the book reading. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was the worst part of the movie? <laughs> what was the worst thing? Um, the worst part was me uh, falling asleep about halfway through, waking up 
to the final five minutes of the film and telling and knowing that I was going to have to back it all the way back up <laughs> and watch again to know exactly what happened. That was probably the worst part. Yeah. <laughs> I've been there. I've been there when like, it's a movie that you, you have to finish for some reason or another, but you know, yeah. you weren't into then you fall asleep and you're like, shit, <laughs> I have to spend the time to rewatch this movie. That yeah. I think is, is very disappointing. Yeah. Um, no, I actually have an effect that I would okay. like to posit as the worst moment of the movie. Uh, so there's this flashback. <laughs> so when we're learning about Candyman's story yeah. and, and where his name comes from, you know, there's this flashback to when, um, when that was the song, the Candyman can, cause he mixes it with. A... Yeah. But uh, the, he gets attacked, you know, for, for his sin of loving a, a white woman. Um, and, you know, this is back in the, I don't know, like 1800s sometime yeah. or turn of the, the century around then. Um, and um, he's, he's attacked by a mob. And there's this scene where they start smearing him with honey and then, like, the camera turns to see this swarm of bees, yeah. but it's the worst 1995 <laughs> CGI swarm of bees that you've ever seen in your life. And both my wife and I just started laughing as this, like, <laughs> this just terrible, like, I know nothing about animation and I could probably produce something of that quality with my basic knowledge of programming, you know? Um, and, and yeah, I have, I have, you know, 25 years, 25 plus years of technology <laughs> on my side, but, yeah. uh, you know, I, but I feel like there were movies out there at the time that were significantly better or just you know as as you mentioned before we know they can do practical effects with real bees yeah so just do that (laughs) just cut this cut this image it couldn't have been that hard to get a beekeeper to bring a bunch of bees yeah i mean yeah especially like back in the day these cgi effects were expensive So, you know, I'm sure it would have almost been just as cost effective to, like, hire some real B actors. Yep. Yeah. Probably couldn't get them to sign a contract. That's the problem with these. Yeah. yeah, Can't get them to sign. They constantly just uh, scream at you and say, it's none of your business. None of your business. They're always (laughs) trying to pollinate. Well, yeah, it's 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 actually a pretty stinging indictment. Absolutely. (laughs) James is slowly dying from my puns. Slowly dying. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So uh, I don't give this one. I don't think if you haven't seen this yet, listeners, uh, you don't need to. 
just watch the original Candyman again. Or watch the sequel. It's also good. Um, with, I mean, not the sequel, the, the remake. The, yeah, the, the remake slash continuation. Yeah, of the first one, I think. What, yeah. what do they call those whenever it's like tying it back to like the original oh, film? Uh, reboot. Reboot? Yeah. yeah, I guess. Um, yeah. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, it, it's... There's uh, so many terms now. Yeah, the one that came out last year is kind of like a a sequel that, um, that forgets this sequel and the next one were actually a thing. So. Yeah. Kind of like the uh, 2018 Halloween and Halloween Kills and the upcoming Halloween Ends. Yeah. Quote, unquote, forgets everything that happened after... Halloween. Is it after okay. Halloween or after Halloween 2? I've heard it. Uh, Halloween 2 introduces uh, uh, the, the whole brother-sister thing. Mm. And and they ignore that. So Okay. Um, but, I mean, they they nod to a lot of them. Like, they give Easter eggs to a lot of the, the movies in the franchise. So it's not like... There isn't some tie. Yeah. So. All right. Well, uh, did you have anything else to say before we wrap up? No. I, I, I am surprised that we made it this long talking about this film. Yeah. No, I think. Uh, <laughs> oof. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we definitely talked about this film much longer than it deserved. Yeah. Uh, which I feel bad saying because a lot of people worked long hours on this, but you know, not every movie is yeah. going to be remembered. No. And I think most people who work on those films recognize that. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, maybe you're working on it and your future is to be the next Bill Condon who, uh, you know, you've yeah. got some, uh, gets nominated some... for Oscars. Twilights to look forward to. Yeah. You've got you've got a long career. So yep. uh good luck. Good luck to you. Yeah. All actually right. actually he won an Oscar one year for Chicago. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. So there you go. Bill Condon, director of uh Candy Man, Farewell to the Flesh, Oscar winner. Yeah. So, you know. One day you could be uh, doing a low-effort podcast. The next day you could be winning podcast awards. Yeah, just a matter of time. Or you just... could become the uh, the oasis of podcasts and you break up. Oh, yeah. That's our future. We already declared yeah. it. Yeah, so. we declared it. It's All key. Right. All right. Well, <laughs> all right, Liam. I'm going to say goodbye. Okay, no. Bye. Bye.